Thank you for tuning in to the 95 Killers podcast. We just launched our website, 95killers.com. So now you can listen to full episodes, become a member, and get your 95 Killers merch straight from our website. Visit us today at 95killers.com. Now let's start the show. Welcome to the 95 Killers podcast. An explorative and insightful journey inside the minds of some of the most successful entrepreneurs who have killed their day jobs to pursue their passions. Streets raise me, born in 80s, baby. Lord save me, cause today I'm going crazy with this bullshit. 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 Crazy with this bullshit. 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 Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the 95 Killers Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Graham. Today's guest is a director, filmmaker, and visual artist. His client list includes Nike, Adidas, Apple, Google, Victoria's Secret, Belvedere Vodka, Starbucks, and Kate Spade, New York, to name a few. His awards and considerations is MoMA's permanent collection, multiple Vimeo staff picks, and Top 30 New Director Showcase. His film festival award is he's a two-time ADC Golden Cube recipient, a one-show silver pencil recipient, and an NYFF winner. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, allow me to introduce you to the multi-talented Roberto Serrini. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? Thanks, man. Really, uh, really excited to talk to you. This is, uh, I'm glad we can make this work. Oh, I'm super excited. So um, tell me a little bit about, um, your, I don't know much about your family, so are you the only child? What's the deal? Yeah. Surprisingly, I'm the only child of an Italian mother and father. So that, there's a lot of... Uh, weight and responsibility that goes along with that because uh-huh. I got to make up for the four brothers and sisters that I don't have. Right. Um, I was born in New York. My father's from Rome. My mother's from Sorrento. And um, yeah, just uh, was an only child with a lot of energy. Awesome. Do you remember how we met? God, barely. I'll tell you. Yesterday. We have a mutual friend in common. Matt so Matt Cottom. Yes. So I had went, um, I had just got a camera. I had the D90 and I went to B&H, bought the camera. I told Matt I was going to get into filming. I wanted to start doing music videos and things like that. And he was like, hey, you got to check out my buddy, Roberto Sereni, right? So he, he sent me to your Vimeo page. I, I got lost in your Vimeo page. It was so amazing. This is like probably <laughs> at this point, what, nine years ago or something like that. And I remember the one that stuck out to me was Love Notes and the Shotgun, that short that you did darkness there man beautiful no beautiful thing and and then so when i met you he invited me out he just, he said hey come to a dinner party i went to the dinner party i saw you and i saw the woman that was in it and i was like when i said to you hey i saw your thing it was like it was like almost like meeting a director you know like a director that you see in the <laughs> movies because i was so you don't get a chance a lot of times to see people of a certain level you know that you can meet and so that was the first time for me that let me know that you were doing stories that had an impact as not, that just wasn't visual. And so I respected that. I'll never forget that day. That's wild, man. I, you know, I really didn't actually know the whole story behind that. Yeah. I don't know. That makes me feel really good. I appreciate you telling me that. It inspired me not just from that day, but even the direction I was heading in because I was, I'm from the Bronx, from the South Bronx. And so what was happening is a lot of people was contacting me for music videos. So I already knew that I had a limited amount of music videos that I was going to do based on 
the fact that I knew that I can do commercial stuff if I didn't if I didn't typecast myself earlier on and just do hip hop sure. videos. So part of that was people like you and the Vimeo community, me, me seeing that what was out there for a person that you didn't have to do what everybody I saw around me was doing. And, and so I want to thank you for wow. that. Listen, don't thank me. I didn't, I, I knew nothing and I, I still know nothing. The only thing I know about this industry is that you can not plan it. I don't think you can, I don't know how people navigate it. People get stuck in music videos. Like you said, I still do music videos, but hopefully ones that I want to do, but it's, it's really a weird industry if you're into storytelling and finding your way to make money in it and have longevity in it. But the one common denominator, which I think you're touching on, is like just meeting people. You know, it's if you don't surround yourself, if you don't put yourself out there and make these connections, even random as they may be, like those, the future will never happen for you. It just won't. You can't do this alone. That's the bottom line. Right. So you mentioned that you can't plan it. Right. But from what I've seen, even when I went to your Vimeo page, I watched all of, by the way, I love the, um, the highlights of your years. Right. I watched everyone. It was beautifully done. And so what I would say is I could see the range. And so what, what I'm talking about is the range, like people get stuck and not just in music video. I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying music videos is a problem. I'm talking about with the same type of things over and over because you're good because people know you can do it. So you keep getting hired to do the same thing over and over. Well, it's interesting you say that, man. And this this is one thing I think overall I've, I've wrestled with. Not not that how do I say? So everyone I've met in my career, anyone above me or someone that's going to hire me, the the same complaint is, oh, you're too all over the board. You do too many different things. You you have to focus. You have to do cars or or babies or lifestyle. Right. So, and I, I got into this business because in college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I loved photography. That's where like it all started. I loved to write, but film was one of these things where, well, there's so much you could do. Costumes, design, all these different stories. You can never get bored in film. You can always like move around in some situation, which as a 20 as a year old seemed like an ideal, you know, I was going to get locked into something. So my career, if you want to call it that, has always been like, Oh, I'll go shoot a sex party. Now I'll go shoot a commercial for Lincoln. Now I'll go do some travel films. And it's all over the place because it keeps it varied and interesting. But on a professional level, the one like resistance I get over and over again is that it's hard to sell me as a director because uh, my work is all over the place. I do a lot of different variety of things. And, and you know, I don't really specialize like, oh, you're the guy to go to for that look or that thing. And I hear you, man. Like, I never wanted to be pigeonholed. I, that was the whole point of like getting into this industry. But at the same time, there is a resistance to it. So I guess the, the real question is like, do you want to be successful and make money or do you want to have a good time with it? You know, and this is, I think is everything, every artist goes through this, the same conundrum, you know, do I sell out and just, you know, do one thing over and over and master it, corner that market or do I stay flexible and really enjoy the art for what it is and, and, and make it on my own terms and maybe not make as much money and maybe struggle a little bit more, but you know, that's the game. That's the game we're playing. Wow. So do you feel that when, when you come up against those hurdles, when people say that to you, does it make you want to do more of like, let's say finding something and then sticking with it, or does it make you rebel against it? Or you, do you continue to go down the path you go? I think as, 
I think the older I get, it, the, the question becomes more important because when you're when you're young in this game, it don't matter. You do what you want. You trailblaze. You, you shoot whatever you want. You get crazy with it, and that's a good time to experiment because you don't really have to worry about uh, your health. You don't have to worry about family. You don't have to worry about a nest egg, all that stuff. But there's a lot of ageism in, in at least commercial production. You know, older directors, unless you're really established, don't get hired that much. There's a lot of dog and pony shows. There's a lot of personality that goes into getting jobs. So the older I get, the more I get concerned about hireability. You know, someone that would hire me because, oh, he's young and fresh and vibrant. Like, you try to hang on that as much as possible so you can get all these different jobs. But if you haven't established yourself as a master of something later in life, I think you're going to kind of screw yourself out of jobs. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a game like anything is, you know, when you're young, you drink, you eat as much as you want, you get crazy, your body can take it. But because you start getting older, even in a career, you got to start getting a little bit more serious about, well, let me take the right job. Let me connect myself with the right people. You know, let me kind of get a little bit of security because now I have a family, I got a wife, I got a kid that, that rely on me for, you know, stability. It can't be like, oh, I haven't worked in nine months, but it's okay because, I don't mind living on, on the floor in front. <laughs> like now, you know, you, you got to kind of grow up and you got to get serious and maybe some of your dreams get compromised, but that's, that's the game, man. That's, that's life. The kind of work you do, I, I imagine that the next step would be, you know, having like, you know, with everything you've done, having people work under you, younger people that are, are hungry and you can see the talent and you're able to guide them with the knowledge that you've attained throughout the years. Definitely. I mean, um, I work with a company called No Frames where I'm a partner and it's, you know, it's a producer, a DP and myself. And then we have other people that we work with, like you're saying, that are up and coming, younger, that take on jobs that are maybe outside of our, our canon, but, you know, it's good for them to cut their teeth on. And they're smaller jobs, but there are more of them. So um, we provide the infrastructure, we provide the knowledge and know-how, we definitely provide the quality control but they're doing basically the late work. And, you know, this to me makes me feel good because if I was in that position 20 years ago, I would love to work for myself, you know, where I can be creative. I can feel like I have some sort of security structure where I can learn, you know, from people that have been in the business for 20 years. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good environment to kind of come up in. So the transition, yes, yeah, to kind of start a media house where you're creating content definitely kind of natural and i think what's so interesting is you know i got into this when there was still like celluloid when there was actual film you recorded uh, you know images on and digital was just kind of coming out and no one really had a cell phone and no one had a whole production studio in their pocket and it has changed so greatly what you can do just by yourself with like your phone in your pocket um that You've got to really constantly be thinking, well, how can I service the industry better? What can I be making that the industry wants? You know, is it shorter, quicker content for uh, smaller companies that everyone needs media? Is it a YouTube channel? What is it that can kind of capture those ad dollars and, you know, create an industry for yourself? So I think the name of the game, you know, it used to be creativity. If you had skill and knowledge and you were making something that was unlike anything else and people loved it, you were set. 
But now it's not only that, it's also about like, well, what are you making and how are you making it and how fast are you making it? So there's a lot of like marketing ingenuity that goes into this that didn't exist before. But if you kind of grew up in this era from analog to digital, that's the one thing you notice above all. If you're born into it now, I don't think you notice it because everything is just swamped with media. But for me, it's such a great difference between, you know, what they were producing back in the day, which is a handful of content, where now it's, you know, six billion uploads a minute. It's crazy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting industry. And I think becoming a media company and knowing what to produce is kind of the name of the game at the moment. Wow, I, I love that how you put that all together because that is something that I've thought about even for myself. Like how much of it is, you know, because the things that we were doing back in the day, you had time to really focus and structure it. And now I'm, I'm seeing people create content for the sake of creating content. So what advice would you give to somebody um, who doesn't have the experience you have in, in terms of creating content without really a message behind it? Do you think there's a, there's a realm for that? And um, what, what, how do you see that in the industry? Yeah, so I tell a lot of people this, and I, I think about it often. Um, there's two ways to attack uh, working in this industry. One is that you produce content that you really enjoy. And to me, that's like the purest way. You're obviously going to take care with it. You're going to enjoy it more. But the, the downside to that is if you don't get any reception, if you don't get any views, if no one says, oh, this is great, it can hurt a lot more. But this is the drama. You know, this is being an artist. And like, this is where you live. This is like the sweet spot. The other way to go at it is as a business. Like you work in an office, like you work at a bank, like you work on Wall Street, you look at it as a business. And, you know, there's less art involved in it because you're not emotionally attached to the work that you're doing. But you're looking at it like, okay, uh, this is what they're searching for on YouTube. This is, these are the hottest things. I'm going to make a video that speaks to this. And this isn't a new idea. Like this I've researched and people tell you all the time, like, if you want to make videos that hit, see what people are looking for, make content that speaks to it, you know? So you're basically making content to make content, to make viewable content, but it may not be the thing you want to make. At the same time, you probably have a better chance of succeeding and that feels really good and that will lead you into the next level. I would say that probably doing the latter and if you're starting out, like really be smart on the marketing side, like I'm saying, because you can always be artistic later in life. If you're artistic now and you don't get anywhere, you're going to end up in a Starbucks, which isn't bad, but like probably not the thing you want to do. Whereas like you might have to spend five, 10 years building a reputation, building those numbers, building those connections. And then once you have the reputation and, and the, the tenure, you can then do whatever you want. And hopefully you still have it in you that you want to create content. You're not burnt out from making a bunch of crap that you never <laughs> wanted to in the first place. You know what I mean? Right. So it's a double-edged sword, man. Life is funny that way. You got to look at it, you know, where it's like, it's going to beat you down on every angle. But if you can't enjoy the beat down, then you might as well just leave the ring, you know? Right. And um, one of the things that I've seen you do is, and, and what I want to touch on with you is you put yourself out there in terms of your creativity. So I see a lot of partnerships or you working with a lot of big brands. How did you land? Like, give me a story of how you landed a, a brand that you wanted. Sure. Um, a great example is Honda. I've done a lot of work with Honda. I just finished a commercial with them for their ATV line. Um, and these are broadcast commercials, so the gold standard. 
of commercial director work. To get on the map with them, I did a documentary about one of my friends that's a motorcycle mechanic, but he deals in the most rare, beautiful Italian motorcycles you can ever imagine. Here in New York City, he's got a beautiful garage. Um, me and three guys went down there with five cameras, a film camera, a digital camera, a VHS camera. I brought all the toys. Spent one night shooting them in a shop, interviews, riding the bikes. I mean, six hours later, I had all this footage, and I cut together this little nine-minute documentary. That documentary went on to win 32 film festivals without even trying. Brought in a lot of, like, 1970s vibe from Italian giallo films and tried to make it, like, something that people haven't seen in that genre before. And it worked. You know, it, it, it was standing out is the key, especially now when, you know, you're uploading six billion YouTube videos a day. That one film launched an entire career in motorcycle commercial work. So Honda is doing stuff with Harley Davidson, doing stuff with Revit. Once they, one saw that, they gave me a job. Now I had two jobs. Now one saw those two jobs, now I have three jobs. And it just builds and builds and builds. But this kind of goes back to saying, like, find something you do well and corner that little niche and become that guy. It was great. And then once you have, like, broadcast TV commercials, you start working for Google. You start working for Victoria's Secret because the styles kind of merge. They know that you're serious. You can handle a crew. You can handle a, a million-dollar budget. And, you know, you're not, you're not working with an amateur at that level. So I guess the, the answer to this is, like, find something that you can really sink your teeth in and make it different and stand out. And then, you know, hopefully that brings in the work for you. Getting a rep uh, or an agent definitely helps that. I mean, for years and years, all my work came in direct. People would see the work online, through Vimeo, through different channels, just posting stuff on Reddit. And I would get jobs from creative directors from, you know, big brands based on this work that they saw. And just recently in the last three years, did I sign on to a rep who then got me even larger work, more commercial work. But it took a long time and not just, you know, not for nothing. It, I didn't feel like I needed it in the beginning because there was a lot of work coming in that I liked the work, you know. The budgets were all over the place, $10,000 up to $100,000, up to a million dollars, you know, and this was all without representation. So I didn't feel like I really needed it because I was swamped with work. But once I got the rep, I worked a lot less, but on much bigger jobs. But again, you got to kind of put in your bones and you got to have the material to show people because there is definitely a level between broadcast work and like digital work that lives online. And you can see that and that has nothing to do with you as a director or an individual has everything to do with the people you surround yourself with because i can shoot i can direct i can edit i can fly a drone you know you can tell me how i do all these things yeah i love it i love doing it right. but i can never make it look as polished as when i sit on step on set with a dp that knows what he's doing with an ad that keeps it in line with a, a gaffer and a grip that can light things perfectly with a you know costume and wardrobe department that is taking all my sync work out of that. I mean, it's just not possible. You just, no human's got that kind of brain capacity to do all those little jobs. And the, that's how you get that jewel like precision look. And those are the jobs, like if you're really into working in this industry, those are the jobs you want because that's big money. And you then, you know, you're playing with the big kids at that point. You know? And once you're in there, thank God you're kind of in there and the, the work keeps coming, but getting there can be tricky for sure. 
Yeah, and I think also the body of work that you've produced is also a good catalyst for people to know what you're capable of. But one thing I want to touch on also, I mean, that was very helpful. I mean, people are going to love that part because I think that part's missing from the equation. People think, oh, I'll just do something and I'll get lucky. So I, something that I also want to touch on is your worth ethic. Like I saw that um, when one of the things that I watched you do and you had like cracked like some ribs or something and, and you, and you can, and you still complete, where does that worth ethic come from that I'm going to get it done? Reading a lot of Hemingway and uh, drinking a lot of whiskey in college. I don't know. It's, <laughs> um, there's two ways to live life. And I've met a lot of directors that don't touch anything. They sit in a chair, they point and like they get the job done. You know, they surround themselves with the right people and they can just like point and talk and the vision comes together. And, you know, that's fine. If you can hack that, that's fine. For me, uh, I didn't know anyone in the industry. My, my family doesn't come from the entertainment industry, the ad industry. So I started at zero. I went to a school that taught film theory, which is, you know, it trains you for nothing. It trains you to work at a hotel. <laughs> so getting out of college, there was no doors that were opening. No one was calling me. I literally had to teach myself how to edit on a stolen copy of pinnacle systems on a computer that I, I built from spare parts. And I think if you really want to do something, if you really want to be a filmmaker, you you do those things. And I mean, Casey Neistat, I look at and I go, this is a guy that like started in a dumpster, literally, and scratched and clawed his way to the top of this industry, this vlog industry. And that is the, this is what I think is needed if you have nothing, if you have no connection, you have no help, no nepotism is going to help you out. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, like the, that school of Dogma 95 where it's like, I got a camera, I'm going to the streets, I'm going to film this thing, I'm going to get it done. I don't care how it looks, I just want to make films. That's just born in you, you know, if you really want to do it. If I wanted to make money and work on Wall Street, I'm sure I would have found an outlet that way. But for me, it was film. So you get used to it. And I mean, to be honest with you, now I feel weird if I'm not making something. You know, the day off of vacation day, it feels feels weird. I want to be documenting. I want to be crafting, creating. I'm seeing something, eating a meal. Let's talk to the chef. I want to bring him out to the table. Can I interview for a second? You know, whatever. I'm always making something because that's how I communicate with the world. It's what I enjoy doing. You know, some people whistle. I make films. What is some advice that you would have given your your younger self if you can go back, say, 20 years? 15, 20 years that, that you know now that you would have given yourself back then? That's a really good question. I think about it too often. I would say the most important thing in this industry has always been making connections. And I don't know what the advice would be, but I think when I was younger, especially because digital was coming up and you could kind of do everything yourself, I wasn't really fostering or curating those connections as much as I should have. I didn't really see the need of it. I love the idea that I could take a camera, I could choose something, I could edit it myself, I could post it myself, and I had a film. I needed zero money to do this. I just needed the wherewithal and, and the, the drive to make it happen. But as you move ahead, the conversation's always, oh, do you know this guy? Do you know this girl? Have you worked with this person? And I realized, oh, shit, like, this has nothing to do with what you're capable of doing by yourself. It has pretty much everything to do with the people that know you in the industry because they're hiring you, they're working with you. So it's something that I don't think, I mean, again, I went to a film theory school, so they're not talking about 
industry as much as they should perhaps, but it's something that they don't really tell you. Like 90% of this business is talking to people like you. 90% of this business is making connections and, and, and finding ways to get your work in front of people and letting them give you a shot. And then making those connections last, like being a good person, being someone they want to work with, being fun, being interactive. I mean, I, the amount of shit that's talked on set about other people, you just imagine, well, what are they saying about me when I'm not around? You know what I mean? Right. So fortunately, I think I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I'm relatively funny. I don't get crazy Christopher Nolan-esque on set. People can sit down if they want. Like, um, I like to have fun. Lena Wertmuller, who is a director that I really appreciate, you know, she says, make movies and have fun doing it. And I, I always like that because if you're doing something you don't like doing, get out of the way. Get out of the way for someone that really wants to do it. So, um, yeah, just making those connections and making them last, I think, is something that I would have told myself to work on earlier because it wasn't necessary. And it would have been easier later on to get bigger and better jobs quicker and get to the top of the food chain. But a second note real quick. I also believe that becoming too famous too fast is uh, a really nasty thing because you get to a ceiling where, what are you going to do now? You know, you Shyamalan yourself. Oh, you did the sixth sense. Now everything sucks <laughs> that you do after it. Whereas if you would have flipped that guy's career, people are like, oh, this is not bad. This is not bad. Oh, okay. Lady in the Okay, fine. And then you hit him with success at the end and you're like, oh, this guy did it. You know, if you're going to plan your career, it's better to do the slow burn on the way up. So don't feel bad if you're not making money, if you're not being cold all the time. If you're working and you've got a roof over your head and you're able to do the thing you love, which now is easier than ever, you're doing okay. You know, you got to check yourself to make sure I'm doing a little bit better this year than last year, up and up and up and up. But the goal is to top out at the end of your career and then, you know, bow, thank you very much and go into nice retirement, enjoy your grandkids, whatever the hell you want to do. But I think not to worry about it would be another thing to tell myself when I was young. Because I was so like, why can't I do this? Why is this guy getting this job? Why am I not getting it? And it would drive me bonkers. I mean, that drives you a little bit too. But at the same time, if I would have known like, hey, slow your roll. You're going to be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. Enjoy it more. You know, that's the key. Because it's, it's going to come. You just got to keep working on it. I meet people who haven't done as much as you and had me try to do stuff. And the way they talk to me, it didn't get the best out of me. I was paid to do right. it, but I, I didn't do my best work as I could. I'm not an actor by any stretch, but I know that it has a lot to do with they treated me like an object instead of like, hey, this is a person. He, this is not what he does. Let's be kind of he's being paid, but he's not an actor. Let's let's walk him through it. And you did that. Right. And I felt very comfortable. It's great to hear. And I mean, there are you know people ask, like, well, what do you do? And I'm like. I do a couple of things. I'm a director and I'm also a filmmaker and they're two separate jobs because a filmmaker is someone that can craft story using media 24 frames a second. But directing is a whole nother beast, you know, and to get hired as a director, what it is is communication. That's all your job is. You're communicating the ideas of the agency or the client to the crew and the crew includes the actor. And it's doing it in a way where everyone's being heard, everyone feels important, you're listening to someone else, you know what they need to hear. And at the end of the day, you're hoping that, you know, besides getting the job done, people are enjoying themselves again, because no one's going to want to work with you if it was a pain in the ass. Right. So 
I appreciate you saying that. And I mean, you know, I like to think that that's the most important job as a director. Some directors don't need to practice that. You know, they can just bark orders or be whoever the hell they want to be because of their names and because they get results. Again, totally different styles, different way to do it. And people talk shit about behind the back. But me, I'm an only child and I need everyone to love me. So <laughs> this is this is why, you know, I choose that path because I have a lot more fun doing it. And at the end of the day, you know, I feel like we did this job together. It was a little tiny job, something we could do in a pandemic for a company that needed media. It was fun. The product ended up being really nice. It got me more work because of it. And the bottom line is that me and you get to be a little bit closer. And now I get to do a nice podcast with you. And like, who knows what the future holds? You know, it's about building the community and just, you know, being human, being being connected on this earth. That's it. No, but that's a that's a good point, because um, I'll tell you something. I've I've interviewed people that I that I wanted to get that I didn't know. Right. And and I've got them on the podcast, but wasn't able to produce it because they were they 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 were at a at a high level but what happened was they felt like it was a favor and for me i'm I, i'm from the school of i don't do anything that i don't think that i if i'm not going to go and be respectful i don't do it but they can't right. like they come in your house and they treat you like hey this is whatever and then they're like oh, when when is it going up and i'm like um never you know and they're like but you you love my stuff but the thing about it is i wouldn't sit with um and not to talk about it i wouldn't sit with some of these people and have a drink with them and it came across like i don't have to love you but it came across that in the podcast that i wasn't having a good time um they weren't having a good time they're like why are you asking me who are you to ask me this like what you said earlier about coming up too fast some of these people came up too fast like the person i won't say the name they came up like they got, they got, I'm not saying they got lucky, but they got a couple of, of good hits. And what happened is they found themselves somewhere and everybody wanted to interview them. Why they said yes to me, I have no idea, but they, they, we did the interview and I can't use it because it was really bad. It was really about the person dodging my questions, um, giving me canned answers that he's put everywhere else. And I asked him one question that, you know, I won't mention, but it was a small thing about a failure and, and he didn't want to talk about failure. It's uh, like, that's interesting it makes talking to you and me wanting to even do this interview more of a blessing for me because that's why I got into this business for, uh, and away from my day job because not to be around people that I don't want to be around anymore. That's why I got out of my day job, not to, to get more of that. Thank you for yeah, that. Man, you got you got to forget about the game. The yeah. game will kill you and it's everything bad about this industry. And I think it's bad, no matter what you're after, whatever industry you're in, the game is always the thing that's going to crush your soul. And I agree with you. I think, you know, this goes for like people of privilege, you know, privilege is a big word these days and definitely rules a lot of what we think and do. But like people that are born into privilege with money, with access, whatever, um, they're kind of screwed. And I feel bad for them because they tend to be assholes um, <laughs> and it's not their fault. No, it is right. because, you know, I read this thing about how the last generation, the generation before, you know, you're born into it and then you work and you work up and then at the end you retire. But there's definitely a feeling of like gaining wealth and gaining privilege throughout your life. But the generation after that is born into where their parents stop. And there's nowhere to go. It's not like you can just keep going up and up and up. It's like you, there's only so much money you can make. There's only so much privilege you can have, you know. And I have the job, I mean, besides being a filmmaker, I do a lot of travel writing, which is allows me to be privileged to do things that I normally wouldn't be able to see or afford. So I get to taste what that's like. But if I'm born into that from birth, I would be screwed. I would have no joy. 
where would I feel like accomplishment? Where would I feel connection? So anyone that gets into the game and like, bump right to the top, I feel bad for because they're never going to know the joys of failure and succeeding because that really is what life is about. You're defined by your failures, not by your success. You know, right. I really do believe that. And if you look at any kind of comedy, and I love comedy, um, you know, growing up in New York, you're basically Jewish, you know, regardless of where you come from or your faith. Like, Jew comedy, like, real hard streets, you know, Italian, urban, ethnic, like, these people struggle. We all struggle, especially in cities. And it's the struggle that's always fun because it's dealing with the, the garbage that life throws at you. And if you're a filmmaker, you definitely get a lot of garbage thumbs up. So it's knowing how to deal with that and, you know, taking it, digesting it, and laughing at it that makes you human, makes you connected with other people. Because I think everyone connects through strife much more than success. Like, oh, look at all the money you have. Oh, you have so much money too. Oh, we're the same. <laughs> no, it's not like that. It's like we come from the same neighborhood. We're doing the same work. You know, uh, we eat the same food. We know what the strife is. And like, that's what bonds you stronger than anything else. Um, yeah, so I feel bad for those people. And I, I applaud you for, you know, not even using that podcast because sometimes you don't want to propagate someone else's image, you know, because they've they've already damaged it. They've already, they're a bad example of what it is to be creative or to be successful. So it's better to find people that are passionate about it, can kind of give um, some some little tidbits of information that can help people struggling to be somewhere else. You know? Right. Exactly. Not not yeah. just looking not just looking down on people. And and the funny thing about it is what you said about struggle is funny. I was just talking to a friend the other day, and we were talking about kids. You know, his kid. You know, people's kids now that I know that twenty years old. So he was saying how you know his kid didn't appreciate this, and I was like, the biggest issue is, and I'll say this for any parent listening, is robbing your kids of the struggle, like. Like how I come up and how you probably coming up, my father made me earn what I have. Everything I have, I I had to earn it. That's why I was able to, like when my friend said, you're not going to use that interview, you waited for this interview. And I'm like, you understand when you struggle, right? Being patient. Like my parents told me, you can't get this now, you got to get it later. So yeah, I wanted that interview. This person accomplished things that I want to accomplish. But I realized that, like you said, propping that person up, it wasn't a good interview. Um, and right. secondly, so it's not even like, I, like, let's say, for, for, take me out of the equation that, that I found the person offensive. I didn't see that anything for people to gain from, like uplifting wise, like, like you're right. over here, you gave nuggets. Like I could sit back and say, I could learn a couple things from what you said today. I can take them, apply them to my life. And like, you've already given me stuff before with not even knowing it, but I can go back and I can, and I can say, Hey, I want to do more of that. But when somebody sits right. there and they are shielding things from you, it comes across like, I got my shit together. You don't look at me. This guy says something I love. He says, we don't climb mountains so the world can see us. We climb the mountains so we can see the world. I really, yeah, the thing I really love about now and media and YouTube and all that social media is that there's lots of people like you that you can latch onto and really genuinely are there to connect and communicate and to help other people. Because the world is a scary place. It really is. And it's only getting scarier, to be honest with you. I mean, um, I think it's so interesting and dangerous how, you know, YouTube and TikTok and everything has kind of taken over the site. Like, that didn't exist for me. And if you can put yourself out there and be hated, by millions of people 
Mm. I don't. How do you navigate that as a kid or mm. an adult? You know, like people kill themselves over this, and I don't blame them. It it can be so damaging. So to have people like you, to have people that that you know you really respect, if it's a nice dad or it's a bitch with Babbage or whoever you you listen to to get information from, that does it because they really just want to put it out there and help other people. Those are the heroes in this world. You know, those are the people that are the beacons of light. And then you have the other people that are just like so selfish you know they just want to make their money and live in their little little world on their yachts whatever mm-hmm. and that's great for them but damn man that's got to be lonely and you can smell it you can smell it on them you can smell when you're posting something <laughs> that you're just trying to get hits to like like right no one we're so savvy now you can't fake people with that crap you know you got to be genuine you know authenticity is king king and you put it so well in terms of I had a, a friend that went viral for something, right? And she called me and said, how can I, how can I capitalize on this viral thing? And I told her a story about, you know, you're viral, but is that what you want to be famous for? Like you can eat a bowl of crap, like this guy said, and you'll go viral. But do you right. want to be known as the person that ate a roll of crap? I've never been viral, so I don't know what that must feel like for somebody. But all I could say is like what you touched on earlier. When you get the success and the attention too early and you don't really have anything to say, you say stuff like she said, like, how do I gain momentum off of this? There is no momentum to gain. Build something that you respect and be successful for that. It's not sustainable, man. I mean, people try to be viral all the time. And, you know, that's, that people see it happen. So they think it can happen to them too. It's like winning the lottery. The chances of it happening are so slim to none. And then if it does happen, how do you capitalize on it? Well, right. most of the time you can't. Like, what are you going to keep being viral? Yeah. Start a makeup <laughs> brand based right. on your virality? Like, there's nothing there other than being famous for being famous. And I think, you know, it started with reality television as a genre. You know, people are on TV for no other reason than they have a name or they're willing to be on television. So this idea of celebrity for celebrity's sake, is its own thing and yeah great if you're if you're really good at being famous great but like again what are you doing like <laughs> is that fulfilling you and if it is great knock yourselves out Kardashians. but if it's not you're just gonna dig a hole man and you're gonna be chasing this drug called you know fame that you'll never get enough of you know and it might kill you it might overdose i've been producing a documentary for literally 10 years about how fame kills people. Like, it's, it's always been on my mind. I see, you know, A-list actors end up dead because of fame, because they're famous. I've seen people, like, lose their life, lose their career, lose their family because they've done something online or they tried to become famous. It's this weird new disease that we have because of social media. And hopefully it'll burn itself out, you know, and people get used to it and know how to, you know, find success in life that's not measured in hearts or likes mm. but until then you know yeah keep the message going and tell people there are other ways to do it you know even if you make a film and only three people like it three people like it like that's three more than you've made before it's something you've done you make you like and you put it out there and you've now connected with three people how many people you need to connect with right. 1.6 million it doesn't, <laughs> if i have 10 friends you know i can count on my fingers i'm locked like you don't need more than 10 good friends. All those hearts and numbers out there, they're fake. They're just digital ones and zeros, man. And like, they can't send you a birthday gift. They can't give you a hug. They can't help you out in a bad spot. They just can't, you know. But your friends can. 
you got to make things with your friends. You got to surround yourself with the right community. And you know, that's, that's the bottom line. That's what everyone should be told in the beginning because you, I don't think you learn that until too late. So it's like a marathon. There are people who are looking for like this fast race. And when you know, like, I guess as we get older, we realize that, you know, you can move a little slower and, but you're moving with precision and you're understanding right. what you're getting involved into, right? And so you don't do stuff necessarily. Like I remember there was a time when I would put up something and if it didn't get enough likes, I would take it down. And at one point right. I was like, I started asking myself, did it lose what I felt? And if it doesn't, I don't care if it gets one, like I'll leave it up. Yeah. Make art for art's sake. Make, make art for, for art's any sake. any other reason, you know, unless your goal is to be famous and be a YouTube star, then be smart about it, you know, study the trends, make the videos specifically. But again, then you can work on finance. You can literally work in any other industry with the same amount of passion. Like if you're after fame, I don't know, man, I feel you got to check yourself. You got to check yourself. Go get some perspective. Yeah. So I got one last bit of, uh, I want to get this one last nugget from you. You've built a, a solid reputation. What advice would you give somebody? Now, this is going to be a very particular thing because I know a few people like this. They're super talented. But it's almost like they keep telling me I'm waiting for the right moment. I've been watching people wait for the right moment for 10 years, uh, 20 years. What would you advise those people that they should do? Um, this is from a friendly advice from another creative about what they can do and, and get their message on track. I think life isn't so precious. I think success isn't so precious either. And I don't think the work you make is precious either. I mean, uh, <laughs> if you make enough of it, you realize, oh, anyone can do this. And again, like you either do it because you like doing it. So the pleasure comes in the actual process and then just do it. Or, you know, if you're so worried about your image, create another persona, you know, just so you can practice and see what happens. But you shouldn't be so cautious about destroying something that isn't even made yet. Put yourself out there, you know, and be open to criticism, be open to critique. And just be a good human being. At the end of the day, if someone's a jerk to you, it's not going to matter because you know, hey, listen, you feel that way, but like, I didn't cause you any harm. I didn't mean to. And just put yourself out there. Just make the stuff and don't be so worried about what's going to happen of it. Like, I think it's great that, you know, you don't care anymore if you get one like or not. Yeah, just make something put out there. It's not for you to decide. It's not for you to decide if it's good or not. Everyone else will decide that because God knows crap is made that people go crazy for and i'm like i don't know i don't get it i don't understand why or how this person's famous or why they're getting to direct commercials or make films whatever but like here we are like this is happening so there's no rhyme or reason so at the end of the day if you can make yourself happy with whatever the hell you're doing and and you can make a little bit of money from that art you're you're already leaps and bounds above everyone else and you should be confident in that and happy with that well, I mean, that's a good note to end on. My brother, Roberto, thank you so much for taking this time out and talking with us. It was my, it was my pleasure, man. Man, it, it's a blessing. Um, also, just so you know, if I just run this one thing by you, what I've been doing now is I do a live uh, chat where people come in, they can ask questions and answer. That'll be like once we post this, um, once I get this done in like a week or so, um, if I could yeah. get you online for like uh, maybe 45 minutes, we listen to a little yeah, bit dude, of the I episode. Okay. Anytime. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and can you plug your website real quick for me, for my listeners? It's my name. If you search for Serini, S-E-R-R-I-N-I, -I, you'll find me. I am an only child, and I am the only Serini that works in this <laughs> industry. So Serini will get you to all my work. Um, 
and yeah, check it out. I got a travel channel with uh, hundreds of videos of things that I do wrong in other places, lots of drone videos, and yeah, just crazy documentaries about stuff I find interesting. Man, thank you so much for spending time with me, brother, and you have a great day. You too, man. I'll talk to you later. Take care, brother. Peace. Bye. Thanks once again for tuning into the 95 Killers podcast. You can now visit us on our website at 95killers.com. We truly appreciate your continued support. Take care of yourself and your families and keep killing those comfort zones. Until next time, peace. The 9 to 5 Killers podcast is now available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Stitcher.